Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, the weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Behind the Veil of Everyday Experience, a neurosurgeon's story of near death. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, February 10th, 2013, Transfiguration Sunday. On November 10, 2008, Eben Alexander was admitted to the Lynchburg General Hospital emergency room with excruciating back pain. Within four hours, he slipped into a deep coma that lasted seven days. At the end of those seven days, he opened his eyes and thrashed around in bed. After the doctor removed his ventilator, Alexander took his first unassisted breath in a week, calmed down, and then said, thank you. Looking around the room and his family and doctors, he smiled and said, all is well. Don't worry, all is well. Alexander's book about his near-death experience, called Proof of Heaven, rocketed to number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Oprah did a one-hour-long special about it, the publisher printed a million copies. Before his near-death experience, Alexander was a friendly skeptic. <clears throat> he wasn't religious and only went to church on Christmas and Easter. He had spent 25 years as a neurosurgeon, including 15 years at Harvard Medical School. He had published over 150 peer-reviewed scientific articles. Faith in empirical science was his only creed. His eventual diagnosis was so rare that he made medical history. Somehow he had contracted spontaneous E. coli bacterial meningitis. The doctors never determined how or why. No one could find even one other case like his. Officially, his status was called N of 1, a term that refers to medical studies in which a single patient stands for the entire trial. Alexander's prognosis was catastrophic. His type of meningitis was almost always fatal, and so his doctors gave him little chance for recovery. His brain's neocortex had shut down. He describes it as inoperative. It wasn't that his brain was working improperly or poorly, he says, but that, quote, it wasn't working at all. Such was Alexander's medical condition. But his book is mainly about the profound spiritual experience he had when he was, quote, <clears throat> completely free of the limitations of my physical brain. Whereas Alexander has no memory of any events during the week of his coma, he retains absolute clarity about what happened outside his brain. He now believes something that's antithetical to the materialist model of all brain science, that consciousness exists entirely independent of the brain. 
I won't spoil the story, nor address the firestorm of controversy his book has ignited. Suffice it to say that Alexander gives a vividly detailed description of his near-death experience. He writes, We will show you many things, an angelic being told him, but you will be going back. One message in particular was more important than all the rest. Alexander compares his near-death experience to lifting a veil. A veil can function like a filter, and so can the brain. Although the spiritual realm beyond the brain is available to us, he writes, during the brain-based physical portion of our existence, our brain blocks out or veils that larger cosmic background, just as the sun's light blocks the stars from view each morning. This brain filtering is good and necessary for life on Earth. Imagine, for example, if you always heard every sound all at once. But this brain filtering also obscures the more important realm of the spirit, unless we take deliberate steps to see beyond the veil. In the reading this week, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai after 40 days and 40 nights, his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. He had been radically transformed by his direct encounter with the infinite God. People were scared to look at him or even come near him. It was too much. And so we read how Moses put a veil over his face. In this case, the veil filtered the unbearable glory of the infinite God. In the Transfiguration story, as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. An obvious allusion by Luke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Whether this was an ecstatic vision or whether Jesus was literally metamorphosed before their eyes, the natural phenomenon of blinding light was secondary to the supernatural affirmation of the voice from the cloud. This Jesus is God's beloved and especially appointed Son. Listen to him. In the Transfiguration story, Jesus is the new Moses. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians this week, he's also the mediator of a new covenant. Paul says that we are not like Moses who veiled his face. In fact, he writes, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And so we who with unveiled faces all reflect, reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. In this instance, there's a veil that doesn't merely filter, but that obscures and which, therefore, needs to be removed. Today we live in a society that the novelist David Foster Wallace described as one of total noise. The Super Bowl is only one example of hyper-stimulation and information overload.
Total noise, said Wallace, is both euphoric and numbing. It's way too much to organize or understand, which is to say that it obscures or veils all those things in life, like the realm of the spirit, that are necessary for being fully human. In her 2011 essay for Journey with Jesus about the Transfiguration, Amy Frickholm writes that learning to see in new ways is one of the most difficult tasks of the transformed life. Old habits of selective vision, old choices about what to leave out and what to focus on tend to dominate us, even as we search for new ways of living that are in closer communion with the life of the Spirit. Transfiguration, that mysterious transformation of vision that is narrated in today's readings, is a radical, if brief, way of illumination. As we move between the extraordinary accounts of Transfigure in today's readings and the ordinary events of seeing in our own lives, we don't need to collapse the two. But we can remember that the light of God is not so hidden that we cannot see it in ordinary life. The Logos lives, enlivens, infuses, illuminates even the ordinary. The title of Alexander's book, Proof of Heaven, is unfortunate. No amount of debate can conclude whether there is a heaven beyond normal consciousness. To me, this doesn't matter, because I already believe that. What's important is not Alexander's medical miracle, but his spiritual message. That despite this veil of tears which is life, and whether you feel it or not, Nothing can separate you from the perfect love that exists at the heart of the universe. This is the reality of realities, writes Alexander, the incomprehensibly glorious truth of truths that lives and breathes at the core of everything that exists or that ever will exist. To experience this, in the extraordinary or in the ordinary, is to be radically transformed in the here and in the now. For books this week, I review a biography by D.T. Max. <clears throat> the title is Every Story, Every Love Story is a Ghost Story. A Life of David Foster Wallace, New York Viking, 2012, 356 pages. By the time David Foster Wallace graduated from Amherst College in 1985, he had won 10 academic awards and written two senior theses. One was for the philosophy department on modal logic. The other was a 500-page monster for the English department, which was published as his first novel when he was 23, The Broom of the System. He had also developed a heavy drug habit, battled severe clinical depression, 
attempted suicide and submitted himself to psychiatric hospitalization. In this first full-length biography of Wallace, these two themes crisscross like a double helix. A brilliant polymath who for many readers altered the form and function of writing fiction, and a tragic life that ended in suicide at the age of 46 after struggling for 30 years with what he called the bad thing. Wallace's early work was obsessed with the postmodern project and the literary theory of Wittgenstein, Derrida, and Gadamer. His later work broke decisively with this to explore a deeply practical question. What does it mean to live an authentic human life in contemporary society? <clears throat> Wallace argued that today we no longer esteem those who care, but those who affect not to care. Our elite trendsetters are characterized by chronic irony, cynicism, a smugness that knows everything is cliched, hyped, empty, and absurd, and a desire to be seen as being aware. David Letterman or Stephen Colbert comes to mind. But Wallace's life collided with his work. Irony is fine as a negative tool, but it offers no positive alternative, and so is defeatist. The problem is exacerbated by virtually every important cultural trend. Television, media overload, pornography which combines false pleasure in marketing, music, fabricated amusements like cruises, and so on. As a result, our passions are not our own. They've been altered and manipulated by the corrosive forces of pseudo-pleasure, consumption, drugs, distraction, self-absorption, and boredom. These ideas come together in Wallace's quirky thousand-page novel, Infinite Jest, published in 1996, and considered by some to be one of the most important works of avant-garde fiction in decades. In the end, Wallace became what D.T. Max calls a full-fledged apostle of sincerity. At his many AA meetings, he learned from recovering addicts that truth-telling had to be, quote-unquote, maximally unironic, wary of pretension, evasion, and cleverness. The clichés of recovery thus supplant the technical jargon of literary theory. Sincerity replaced irony as a virtue, and saying what you meant became a calling. Of course, this risks the condescension of the cultural ironists. At the end of his biography, Max makes a provocative comparison between Dostoevsky and Wallace, who was never religious, by the way. And here I quote, Like the good old brothers K, as Wallace called Dostoevsky's novel, Infinite Jest counterposes sincerity and faith against moral lassitude. Both reject stylish irony to make a simple point. Faith matters. D.T. Max 
Every love story is a ghost story. A life of David Foster Wallace. <clears throat> For movies this week, we go to Cambodia. The title is a documentary film, Enemies of the People, 2009. Tet Sambat's brother and parents were among the two to three million people killed by execution, torture, starvation, and disease in the genocide by the ruthless Khmer Rouge, Cambodia's Communist Party that ruled the country from 1975 to 1979. For 10 years, Sambat spent his weekends taking his camcorder around the country to record the oral histories of all who would speak to him about those dark days. This documentary focuses on three people. Mr. Kuhn and Mr. Soon, two peasant farmers who describe how they slaughtered hundreds of fellow citizens. And then Noon Che, or brother number two, who was second only to Pol Pot, brother number one. This film is not about politics or revenge. It's a deeply human inquiry about what people did, how they did it, and why. Although understated, it's very graphic. Said Mr. Kuhn, to come back to these killing fields makes me feel terrible. My mind, my body, and my soul are spinning inside. All those things I did are flashing through my mind. Today, Noon Che, brother number two, is in detention awaiting a United Nations trial for crimes against humanity and war crimes. Enemies of the People premiered at the 2010 Sundance Film Festival. I watched it on Netflix streaming. And finally, for poetry this week, we posted a poem by Yehude Amachai. It's called The Place Where We Are Right. From the place where we are right, flowers will never grow in the spring. The place where we are right is hard and trampled like a yard. But doubts and loves dig up the world like a mole, a plow. And a whisper will be heard in the place where the ruined house once stood. Yehudi Amachai, considered by many both in Israel and around the world as Israel's greatest modern poet. He died in the year 2000. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, February 10th, 2013. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.